Hello, and welcome to the BPL Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and I'm here today with a very special guest, author David E. Rohr. Uh, he's the author of The United States of Ohio, One American State and Its Impact on the Other 49. So David is joining us from, is it New York? Yes, Poughkeepsie, New York, Jeff. Poughkeepsie, okay. So this is a special podcast here. This is actually the first time we've done a remote podcast. Um, so thank you, David, for joining us from New York. Oh, you're quite welcome. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so David is doing a program here at the library, an author talk, which is going to be Wednesday, June 19th at 7 p.m. So he'll be talking about his book, answering questions. Uh, we'll be partnering with Gramercy Books right across the street, selling some books. So uh, be sure to check that out. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about Ohio and some of the things that David discusses and some of the things he has discovered in his book. So, David, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your connection to Ohio? You used to live here, is that correct? Absolutely. I, I grew up in uh, primarily in Toledo. As a, as a littler kid, I, I lived in Tiffin. I grew up in Toledo uh, through high school, uh, four years at Bowling Green State University, uh, lived after that, uh, kind of broke into the advertising business in Columbus for about a year and a half, two years initially. Uh, then I lived in the Akron area for seven or eight years uh, before my wife and I and what were then our two little kids uh, moved to Rochester, New York. So I, I lived my first 29 or so years in the state of Ohio. Uh, and I consider that I still kind of live there because my parents still live in Toledo and my, uh, my mother-in-law is in Marion, Ohio. Uh, siblings and siblings-in-laws, cousins and in-laws all over the state. So even though I've not had an Ohio driver's license in a long time, I still somewhat think of myself as an Ohio. I guess I'll always will. So, Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you have connections sort of all over the state. Yes, I do. All right. So as I was looking through your book here, um, a quote that stuck out to me from the United States of Ohio uh, states that, there was a time when Ohio was the nation's epicenter of innovation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, during the, as the country grew from being kind of the original 13 colonies and being a very uh, agrarian, farm-oriented, uh, small town kind of economy, we think of the Yankee peddlers and the uh, the little towns up and down the eastern shoreline from uh, primarily in the north from from Maine to Maryland, I guess. Mm -hmm. we, we think of that uh, that kind of industrial the industrious society that kind of gradually spread west. We remember the uh, old opportunity cry of go yes, go west, young man. Uh, and the first stop for all these people going west in kind of what was then a, a non-slave, work for your wages, uh, build your own your own life, your own business, your, your own career uh, kind of way of thinking, uh, Ohio was the first stop. Ohio was gifted with having waterways leading to and fro, uh, the Ohio River and Lake Erie, which was part of kind of an extended uh, we think of it as part of the St. Lawrence Seaway system, but it was also kind of part of the Erie Canal system at that point in time because uh, 
transport of goods was from east to west via the Erie Canal, then Lake Erie, uh, then, then various canals throughout Ohio. So canals followed by rail transport uh, made Ohio a very friendly place for cities to, spot, uh, to start, uh, for businesses to start. And as I said, it was the, the first stop on this kind of uh, transcontinental journey that took multiple generations. Uh, it, it just so happened that Ohio was uh, home to the right people, I guess, at the right time, too, because Thomas Edison was born in Ohio in the 1840s. Uh, the the, Proctor, the uh, Proctor met Gamble. They dated sisters in Cincinnati. The folks that built things like the or invented things like the McCormick Reaper started national cash reg and started national cash register. Uh, developed commerce-oriented firms like Diebold in Canton, Ohio. Uh, the folks that started the glass industries in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh's often thought of as the steel center, but. Uh, Cleveland was a close rival due to its uh, its location on the lake, where it was a, a ready unload for ore from Minnesota and northern Michigan. Uh, the oil industry, uh, first for lighting and then for uh, the the common uses we know of petroleum now, uh, materials and, and fuel were. were uh, kind of started in eastern Ohio and, and in Cleveland, led by probably the most one of the most famous American wealthy people, John D. Rockefeller, uh, a native New Yorker who came to Ohio as a teenager and, and built his fortune in Ohio uh, initially. So everything, I, I've made the comment once in the book that uh, uh, Ohio used to be California. You could also make the comment that Ohio also used to be Texas. So everything that was happening from an industrial and an invention standpoint occurred in the state of Ohio. Well, not everything. I'm sure others from other states would argue a lot of this, but uh, you can see that there was a big mass of invention, innovation, uh, both in terms of applying science and uh, sciences and technology to create new products, such as the cash register. Uh, to uh, uh, initial oil exploration, cracking was invented by one of Rockefeller's people, uh, which is the way the way you develop uh, petrol-based products into other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I that's what I mean by that, I guess, in a roundabout way. Yeah, it's it's interesting to you know it sounds like it was sort of this perfect storm of both you know the geography. Um, the commerce, the right people, you know, either being born here or, or coming here to do business. Um, it's it just, it's interesting to put it in context, um, especially, you know, these days everything is uh, so nationalized and, you know, obviously the, the internet and electronic commerce flip things on its head. So it's interesting to think about, um, you know, you're literally talking about the, the path of, of folks as they went west and how Ohio, you know, was, was sort of this perfect spot. Yes, and, and this was at, at, remember, in England, uh, Western Europe, the United States, this was uh, the 
industrial revolutions often thought to kind of run the time span from, at least in the United States, after the Civil War uh, up until about 1920 or so. So and that's when most of this was occurring. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Switching gears to, to sports a bit. Uh, so your bio says that you're an enthusiastic Ohio sports fan. So are you more of a Cleveland or a Cincinnati guy? Well, in, in terms of baseball, I'm kind of a, a fan. I've always been a fan of both teams. Uh, growing up, uh, we didn't have interleague play. And, and so I always kind of rooted for whichever Ohio team was better at the time. And I kind of still maintain that. Do you ever get any grief for that? For, for both? I get, gr- I get grief from the Cincinnati fans for being a, somewhat of a Cleveland fan, and and I get grief from the Cleveland fans for being somewhat of a Cincinnati fan. So, <laughs> but I don't quite understand that. I where I live, it's all the, the Mets and the Yankees, and they don't, they you know they there there's a lot more hate between the Mets and the Yankees than there are between the Reds and the Indians. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, re- remember the. Uh, uh, Red, the Reds and the Indians share a stadium out in Arizona, so they they, you know, they they have kind of a you know their games are more like what they call in soccer friendlies. Sure, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, it's a little different in in New York. The when they have the Subway Series annually, uh, you know I, I guess fights happen quite a bit, and I, you don't see that happening in. Uh, progressive field or great America. That's true. Thankfully. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now the same thing doesn't apply uh, when it comes to football because he really can't be a Browns fan and a Bengals fan. So I'm, I'm, I guess I would say I'm way more of a Browns fan just because that's how I grew up. My, most of my relatives were from Northern Ohio. I had great uncles that, that worked for Glidden in Cleveland. And when I was a little kid, they said, well, you gotta be a, a Browns fan. The Browns are the greatest team ever. That was really sort of true at that time, but right, <laughs> it hasn't been the case lately. Obviously, All <laughs> one, hope springs eternal, and uh, you know the the they are kind of oversold now. I think is the team to to watch here in in the 2019 season. Sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, I, I Buckeyes all all the way. I'm the son of an Ohio State grad, so uh, my parents met in Columbus while my dad was in his senior year. Uh, so I guess you could say I owe a lot to Ohio State. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about NBA you a Cavs fan or? Yes, e- even even this year. <laughs> Dark times. Yes, and, and then uh, yeah, so. If you want to extend that, see, I like both the the University of Toledo Rockets because they're the college team I grew up with, but also the Falcons because that's where I the Bowling Green Falcons because that's where I went to school. So people, you're not supposed to be able to do that either. You're, you know, you're supposed to if you go to, you know, if you're from Toledo, if you're a Toledo, you're supposed to either like one or the other. So, but gotcha, just breaking rules all over the place. I, I'm just yeah, Mr. Rule Breaker. <laughs> So, do you have any uh, any interesting Ohio sports anecdotes or uh, you know stories or trivia come to mind from your book? I, I guess the the thing that I always point to in 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 the book is the fact that uh, you know Ohio uh, was the birthplace of professional sports. Uh, 
no one like we when we think of the NFL, for example, we think of of uh, huge amounts of money, uh, uh, fabulous wealth. Uh, we think of Jerry Jones's stadiums he's built in, in Dallas, these palaces that he replaces every fifteen or twenty years, uh, and, and the, you know the the multi 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 millions that the players earn. The I guess the the it's interesting to contrast since we're in year 99 of the NFL with the fact that uh, the NFL started with oh 15 or 16 uh, franchise owners sitting on on bumpers and running boards of uh, cars in a Canton, Ohio auto dealership in 1920, trying to figure things out. How can we make this a professional sport uh, when it was considered to be a uh, a college sport? It would be kind of like people trying to figure out how to make something like uh, lacrosse the uh, number one sport in the in the in the country. I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not a good example because I know there are professional lacrosse uh, teams and and that, but. There, there was a, there was a, uh, there was a situation though back then where some teams were professional and some were not. They all played each other. Some non-professional teams figured out ways to play, pay real good players, the uh, money, and so half the team would be amateur, half would be professional. There, there was a lot going on there that was that was messy. So mm-hmm. these early NFL meetings. Uh, it was the league initially had a slightly different name, but it became the the National Football League uh, in in fact in 1920, but in name by 1921. Uh, so that's I guess I don't know if that's trivia. It seems pretty significant, but the fact that they the the name of the automobile was the Hup Mobile. One of one of dozens, maybe hundreds of brands of automobiles that you could purchase in the United States back then. So, okay, yeah, wow, and I, I honestly did not realize that we were coming up on the uh, centennial of the NFL. Yes, so yeah, definitely, it has grown just a bit from you know sitting on the <laughs> the bumpers of cars and figuring things out. Yes, that's when cars <laughs> all had running boards too. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. So uh, I guess we we covered this a, a little bit. Um, earlier in our conversation, but um, in your book, you you mentioned the impact of both manufacturing and agriculture in the Buckeye State, um, with Ohio being home to companies like Goodyear and Procter and Gamble. Was was there anything we didn't touch on earlier that you feel, you know, very important to the development of of the state? Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's it's kind of a combination of uh, geography. Uh, Infrastructure that was available, uh, best in the country, best in the world, at the beginning of the uh, and through the industrial revolution. Uh, in terms of agriculture, Ohio is, uh, I think, the one of the top four or five agricultural producers uh, in terms of you know dairy. Uh, uh, crops, uh, livestock, which is kind of remarkable when you consider that it's like the 34th or 35th, I can't remember which state 
in terms of ge- uh, land mass. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're you're producing a a lot of uh, goods on relatively small turf. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill White, an uh, uh, econ- economist uh, at Ohio State University, uh, told me that that if you draw a diagonal line from Ash to Beulah uh, to Cincinnati, everything north and west of that line, it makes for almost perfect uh, growing conditions in terms of temperature, soil, and other factors, which is why, and when you, when you look at the state, that's, that's where the bulk of the agricultural product comes from, uh, that diagonal line, which probably might slice right through the middle of Columbus. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, anyway, that, that's, uh, that's one of the things going for it. Uh, so all those things came together and, uh, you know, that's part of what enabled the state to be attractive to people initially, which led to, uh, inventors and entrepreneurs arriving in the state, staying in the state and building businesses in the state. That's why Ohio was the third most populous state until early in the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. So you have this sort of, uh, like we said earlier, this you know convergence of uh, the right people and excellent infrastructure, um, and sort of punching above its weight class in terms of uh, agriculture. So we, we've talked. I feel like we've talked a good amount about uh, Ohio cities other than Columbus. So can you can you speak to maybe Columbus's impact? Uh, historically and also, you know, going forward uh, in the state? Oh, sure. Uh, Columbus is kind of the, I guess, the bright beacon of of, uh, new economy that I think a lot of people in the North and uh, Northeast and Ohio in particular look to uh, as uh, so many Northern cities are in decline uh, in terms of population or, uh, and population is really the measure, you know, when, when an area lo- stagnates in terms of growth or starts to lose population, uh, it's seen as a, uh, harbinger of bad things. Uh, Columbus in the past, uh, I don't know, maybe since, maybe as long as 1950, has been on a growth track. I can remember in in researching the book, uh, Columbus was predicted in uh, 1990 or so. I don't have it. I don't have the figures in front of me. Mm-hmm. To to by by 2010, have a metropolitan population of of in the area of 900,000. Uh, I think it 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 eclipsed that by several, two or three hundred thousand people when. Uh, 2010 actually rolled around. So wow. it, it, it's growing at a pace that exceeds uh, what planners ha- had predicted. Another thing worth noting is that Chicago, obviously, has been the largest uh, Midwestern city now for decades and decades. Uh, and for many decades, the second largest was Indi- Indianapolis. Uh, but, but Columbus has now eclipsed Indianapolis in, in terms of the size of the city and I think the size of the metropolitan area, both. 
uh, obviously two different measures. So uh, you, you can. This is new economy, obviously. Uh, new economy. Uh, Columbus has always been a, a, a pretty important research center. I can remember years and years ago uh, hearing that Columbus was at that point in time. This was in the 80s, I think, that Columbus was the uh, third largest center for research outside of uh, Washington, D.C. and Moscow in the Soviet Union. Wow. And, uh, and that, was, that was attributed to both Ohio State and Battelle, plus a couple other companies that had, had headquarters there. So, Okay, okay. Uh, so, you know, and that, that goes with the, the whole uh, idea of new economy, you know, kind of non-manufacturing, non-industrial. Uh, we obviously know all the, the huge... What do we have? Uh, nationwide Grange Insurance, State Farm, I think. Uh, a couple other large insurance companies are mm -hmm. headquartered in Columbus. So, uh, you know, that that again is, you know, I guess kind of a, a new economy thing. So, yeah, it's, and you know, as a lifetime resident myself, uh, it's it's definitely it's exciting, you know, sort of be a part of it. All right, David. Well, we're running a bit short of time, but. Uh, I, I, thanks again for, for joining us on the podcast. And, and again, uh, David is uh, coming to Bexley Public Library on Wednesday, June 19th at 7 p.m. to do an author talk. David will be discussing his book with Mike Curtin, former Columbus Dispatch associate publisher and former member of the Ohio House of Representatives. Uh, so the author visit is offered in partnership with the Columbus Bar Association and Gramercy Books Bexley. Looking forward to seeing y'all. Yeah, absolutely. So again, the, the, the book is The United States of Ohio, One American State and Its Impact on the Other 49. So be sure to check that out. And uh, thanks for listening to the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and have a good evening. Thanks again, David. Thanks a lot.